Welcome to Screen Time with Richard Roper and Rokan. I am Richard Roper. Rokan is on assignment, but I'm so glad to be here with you guys again. It's been a little while. Uh, we got a really fun podcast today. We're going to talk about some of the latest in entertainment news. And I got reviews of a bunch of stuff as we head into the Memorial Day weekend. What to stream, what to see in the theaters. We're going to talk about all of that and more. But first, a reminder that Screen Time with Rowan Roper is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success. Because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. Well, guys, it is the final episode of the season. Here to talk about it is Pete Davidson. Oh, Colin and Che and millions of people only watching to see if I bring up Kanye. Yeah, Pete, you've, you've had a weird year. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I just, uh, I never imagined this would be my life, you know? I mean, look at me when I started here. I was just like a skinny kid and no one knew what race I was. And like now everyone knows I'm white because I became hugely successful while barely showing up to work. So, so are you officially leaving? Yeah, man, Lauren accidentally gifted me a sock, so I'm free. <laughs> All right, that was a clip from Saturday Night Live, the final Saturday Night Live episode of the 2021-2022 season, uh, which they kind of returned back to the normal way of doing the show with live studio audiences, and uh, people didn't have to wear masks anymore, and the cast was actually really there on the famous soundstage. Big news out of that actually broke before the episode, and that was, of course, the departures of Pete Davidson, A.D. Bryant, Kate McKinnon, and Kyle Mooney. Uh, the reporting from Variety and the L.A. Times actually came out before the episode aired. It's interesting because usually SNL is very secretive about cast changes, and we usually don't hear about the changes in cast until right before the premiere of the new season, maybe in late summer because it usually premieres around October. In this case, the, the news got out early. There are going to be, there definitely will be some new cast members. Although when you watch the introduction to SNL, it goes on forever because they have the main players and the featured players and also the with players. And sometimes you see people and you're like, I don't know if I've ever seen that person actually on the show. In this case, of course, we're talking about some real stalwarts who have been with this uh, show for a long time. Kate McKinnon and A.D. Bryant have been with Saturday Night Live since 2012. Kate McKinnon, of course, has become a huge star. Movies, uh, TV commercials, you name it. I think A.D. Bryant is terrific. Maybe a little bit underrated. She could do everything. She's got some new stuff coming out and out right now. I, I don't think she's yet found the perfect vehicle. or they, Hollywood hasn't found it for her. I see A.D. Bryant eventually getting on, whether it's a sitcom or something like that where she'll have like an eight season run. I think she's got that kind of talent. Kyle Mooney's really good too. You know, he's a little bit more, you kind of always have your, your breakout stars and your high profile uh, SNL performers. It's been that way from the start, from the very start, the very first SNL cast, believe it or not, there have been 47 seasons. But if you go all the way back to the seventies, the premiere season, Chevy Chase became the breakout star. Belushi was huge. Uh, Gilda Radner. And then you had, you know, Jane Curtin, who was very good. And Garrett Morris, who was very good, but even then there was a hierarchy, and there always has been, where certain stars break out, whether it's, you know, in subsequent years it was Eddie Murphy and Adam Sandler, 
and on and on the list goes, and they go on to do TV and movie projects. Kate McKinnon has had a great career and will continue to do so because she has the kind of talent to do it. And then Pete Davidson, who's, you know, a really interesting cat in more ways than one. I'm a Pete Davidson fan. I know he's kind of polarizing. The easy assessment of Pete Davidson is that he's playing a version of himself almost all the time, and he certainly did that on SNL. It's accurate, but a lot of uh, actors and actresses and performers have made careers out of playing various versions of themselves. Uh, In fact, Pete just announced they're going to do a new series that's based loosely based on his life once again, as was The King of Staten Island, the Judd Apatow film from a couple years ago, which I I thought was terrific. And his stand-up is about his life. And, of course, his real life, his personal life, has become part of his shtick. And, you know, he's very open about that, all his relationships. At this point, Pete Davidson, he was only 20 when they brought him on board for Saturday Night Live. He's still a really young guy. I think his best work is ahead of him. I do think at some point, I don't want to say he's not serious about his work, but I think he might want to concentrate more on career than persona. And I know, you know, I think he gets a big, big kick out of being in the public eye, even though he pretends like, oh, shucks, I'm just this, you know, goofus from Staten Island. But he's got a lot of talent. I'm not going to miss the video, the rap parodies he's done. They did a thing on Saturday Night Live, actually, last Saturday, where Eminem came on and told him to cut it out. Enough was enough. And it was funny, but it was also kind of accurate because it's a little pretty much the variation on the same theme uh, throughout. So big departures from Saturday Night Live. Pete Davidson, A.D. Bryant, Kate McKinnon, and Kyle Mooney uh, have all left. Some of the comparisons made were back to 2012 when Andy Samberg, Abby Elliott, and Kristen Wiig left at the end of the season, followed by Jason Sudeikis, and then a year later, Fred Armisen and Bill Hader. That was a huge you know, team loss there. You still have a lot of regulars who have been with Saturday Night Live for a long time. Uh, Keenan Thompson, of course, who has the all-time record, uh, is still staying with the show. Heidi Gardner, Chloe Fineman, Chris Redd, uh, Bowen Yang. Uh, there are a, a ton of young talents still with SNL. And I know some people say, like, oh, Saturday Night Live has become corporate. It's not relevant anymore. It actually is. You know, for better or for worse, the Trump presidency uh, had people tuning in every Saturday when there were new programs to see what Alec Baldwin would do and what they would do with Trump. And I think it's still relevant. It's still one of the few shows where I don't think, you know, in this day and age, you need to see it live from New York. It's really sometimes more about the Sunday morning viral video, which, you know, the cold open kill was the musical guest fantastic or did they bomb? Was there a controversial joke during weekend update? It still has that buzz about it. And when you think about that, 47 seasons, it's a remarkable run. They've had their ups and downs, but uh, it's still a show that people talk about a lot a lot more than they talk about a lot of other shows. I mean, there's a lot of great blends of comedy and political commentary out there. You know, Bill Maher has his big fan base for his Friday night show. John Oliver, I think, is terrific. Colbert and Seth Meyers and Jimmy Kimmel and almost everybody at Late Night has gotten into more commentary. Still comedy, but more commentary than they had maybe even five years ago. But SNL, I think, is still kind of must-see TV. Are we going to move on and talk about... Talk about the absurdity of show business, but people keep asking me about this. And I'm like, well, I I guess I should say something about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, the ongoing defamation trial between the former spouses has become this pop culture phenomenon because Johnny Depp was the one who insisted it be televised. He thought that would be a great idea. Not so sure it was. 
So Johnny Depp is suing Amber Heard for $50 million. He alleges that she implied that he had abused her in a 2018 Washington Post op-ed about domestic violence. She's countersuing for $100 million, accusing him of orchestrating a smear campaign against her and describing his lawsuit as a continuation of abuse and harassment. I don't think anybody's coming off well or faring well in these uh, televised moments we see in the highlights, all the jokes and all the comments, and everybody thinks they know exactly what happened. You know who knows what hap- exactly what happened? Two people, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and they certainly have wildly uh, differing accounts of, of the relationship. And I've said this for years. I'm in the entertainment, in the business of reporting and covering entertainment and reviewing movies, etc., doing commentary. I've never been big on getting deep into the personal lives of celebrities that's not what i'm about sometimes you can't help it because it crosses over into the work especially when there's you know serious charges and it it upends careers deservedly so when we're talking about the harvey weinstein's of the world and changes lives in this case i i just saw this thing okay the celebrity supporting johnny depp winona ryder javier bardem penelope cruz celebrity supporting amber heard kathy griffin ellen barkin julia fox and you know these are people who know the individuals and will vouch for them. But again, they don't really know what happened between them. And when I see, you know, Johnny Depp, who by the way is from Kentucky, I don't know if people remember that anymore because he's developed some sort of Pirates of the Caribbean crossed with British crossed with, I'm not sure what accent. Uh, and he's very deliberate on the stand and he's giving a performance, that's for sure. Uh, but it's just the sort of details on both the, both sides, I think are just sad. And I don't know who's going to win. I don't think it matters. I mean, financially, it certainly matters, especially to Amber Heard. But neither one of them comes out of this well. Johnny Depp, he'll continue to work, even though some roles now are being assigned elsewhere. He's Johnny Depp. He's got a huge following. He's he's a huge talent. He's a major star. I guarantee you, you're going to see Johnny Depp acting again. Amber Heard, uh, I actually, she's done some really nice work, uh, but this has overshadowed that, eclipsed it completely. I think it's going to be, unfortunately, whether this is fair or not, a tougher road for her. But again, I think she'll work again. She's young. Uh, she's got a future ahead of her. In both cases, you hope they figure out a way. They should have figured out a way to go their separate ways without it getting so ugly, but they didn't. That's all I'm ever going to say on that, and unless something you know astonishing occurs, because I feel like the whole world's talking about this. Everybody's having a lot of fun with it, and I, I don't really find it all that funny. I find it more sad than funny upswing better news let's go to downton abbey life is full of plot twists along the way i've come into possession of a villa in the south of france what you never thought to turn it down do i look as if i turned down a villa in the south of france times change and we must change with them oh i like the sound of that downton abbey a new era the modern world comes to downton <laughs> the grand event begins only in theaters there may be new faces coming in but the public won't want to say goodbye to all their old faces. so downton abbey a new era has opened and here's the reporting on it it's pretty gosh darn good focus features downton abbey this is from variety welcomed older viewers back into theaters this weekend in what may be a promising sign for the box office prospects of films aimed at grown-ups, according to estimates from the measurement firm Comscore. Comscore, ladies and gentlemen. The period drama, based on the critically acclaimed TV series of the same name, opened to $16 million in North America. That's pretty darn good, folks. 
wasn't enough to see on see Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but that's a monster, monster hit. It's made $340 million just domestically. But this is good news to see that Downton Abbey, A New Era, opened to $16 million. This is the sequel to the Downton Abbey movie from 2019, which, of course, was the follow-up to the hit series, which, believe it or not, debuted like 12 years ago, I want to say, in America, uh, 2010. In the second half of today's podcast, I'll give you my review of Downton Abbey, A New Era. But what I find interesting about this is that we keep hearing that only Marvel Universe movies will play in theaters. And that's just not true. And it's been an uphill battle, obviously, uh, due to the pandemic. But people want to go to theaters and people should not underestimate. When we talk about older viewers, we're talking really not even 50 plus, probably 40 plus they love to go to movies. You know, when you think about it, whether it's your parents or in my case, people my age, people want to go to movies. They want to have date nights out. They want to see things in theaters. If the material is there, if there's something that's not just a Marvel universe, although those movies also appeal to, you know, a wide demographic. So I think sometimes Hollywood misses the boat by not having more of these so-called adult dramas that aren't about special effects that are period pieces, historical pieces, in this case, obviously historical, it's, it's pure fiction, but it's so accurate to the era of Downton Abbey. It started in World War I with the series. Now we're up to the end of the 1920s. It's very encouraging to see this. And I'm, I'm excited because we are going back to theaters uh, in an upcoming podcast. Uh, just a few days from now, we're going to talk about all the big summer movies and the ones I'm really looking forward to seeing. Uh, for me personally, We've talked about this on the podcast. Uh, I've had about a two-year period where almost everything I saw was sent to me at home. They sent me links to movies and obviously streaming series, which was great. And I'm very grateful for that. But in the last four to five months, I'm back to seeing three or four movies in theaters in advance so I can share my reviews with you guys. And uh, I love seeing Downton Abbey, A New Era on the big screen with that famous theme and the famous castle and all that stuff. So good news from the box office report on Downton Abbey. All right, I'll tell you what, why don't we take a quick break and Rokan's going to tell you about Portillo's and then when we come back, we've got some what not to watch and some recommendations for you. But first, Portillo's. They are known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients right down to the poppy seed bun. And of course, the legend itself, the chocolate cake. If you are hearing this right now, that means you are alive and you are near a computer. Go to Portillo's.com and check out their entire selection of stuff that you can get anywhere in the United States of America. If you are blessed enough to live near a Portillo's, then you don't have to worry about going online. Just go to the store, go get the hot dogs, go get the Italian beef, go get the salads, the chicken. They got It's all great, but the chocolate cake is the single greatest item of all chocolate cake items in the history of humanity. Am I overstating that? <laughs> I am not. I am not. You go and you find out yourself. Order it online, go to a store, or if you really want to try something totally unique, the cake shake. They take the cake and they smush it <laughs> into a can with the, with, I don't know what else it is. I guess ice cream and some other stuff. And then they put it in the blender. You know how they do that? Where they yeah. take that cannish looking cup and they put it up into the blender. <laughs> Next thing you know, <laughs> it comes out and they put a cookie on the straw and you're like, oh my God, this oh. is the greatest thing that ever happened. 
This is a warning to diabetics. It may not be perfect for you. But for everybody else, (laughs) it is the greatest thing you could possibly have. Go to Portillo's.com. Find a location near your order online. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S. Portillo's.com. All right, welcome back to Screen Time. We're going to start off with what not to watch. These are some efforts that unfortunately missed the mark. Um, Why don't we take a listen to a clip from The Time Traveler's Wife? Time travel. It's not a superpower. It's a disability. It's what's wrong with me. Can I help you? Henry. Sorry, I, I don't know. Claire. So we've... Met them. Yes. I'm your future wife. Why is love intensified by absence? Now, if that sounds like a familiar title to you, The Time Traveler's Wife originally was a best-selling novel that came out about 20 years ago. And I think it's actually a beautifully done novel. And the story is all about this guy who can travel back and forth in time. And he can't control exactly when and where he goes. Sometimes he sees versions of himself, but he falls in love with this woman when he's 28 and she's 20. But then he goes back in time when she's just a kid, uh, which is part of the problem with this, because there's just an undeniable creepiness about some of the plot points here where a grown man is hanging out with a little girl telling her, I'm going to marry you someday. They made it into a movie in the late 2000s uh, with Eric Bana and Rachel McAdams. And despite that's pretty good casting, it did not work. It was okay. It wasn't terrible. It was just kind of soft and flabby and really didn't make us feel like we were seeing this timeless love story. Like Somewhere in Time, for example, as a, as a time-traveling romance. The limited series is much worse than the movie. It's the worst series of the year so far, guys, for partially because of the stuff I've been talking about, the weirdness of it all, the time travel aspects of the cast is not great. The performances, they almost went for kind of a screwball comedy version of this, but you can't get away from the weirdness of it all and the uncomfortableness of it all. And I have a personal bone to pick because this is set in Chicago. The novel is set in Chicago. The movie was the limited series, but clearly filmed elsewhere. I think mostly in uh, New York. Uh, And you can tell. And I get it. Lots of times, listen, Chicago sometimes stands in for other cities. That's the magic and all that of television and movies. But in this case, it just doesn't have a feel of, and and it's very Chicago-centric in terms of the locations. They did a few exterior shots, but... They kind of do the easy stereotypes too, like, oh, let's get a Chicago hot dog and things like that. So it nothing about this feels authentic. Avoid the time traveler's wife. Let's take a listen to a clip from senior year. This is a Netflix uh, rom-com starring Rebel Wilson. When I was in high school, I had the perfect life. I was already cheer captain. I had the hot boyfriend and all that was left was prom queen. <laughs> been a mistake and I've been put in the wrong room. Dr. Johnson's the third floor. The cheerleader just woke up. Don't mean to be a bitch, but she kept. So again, we this isn't really a time-traveling thing, but we have another kind of, you know, artificial construct, if you will. Uh, Rebel Wilson playing a high school student who's uh, going to be the prom queen. She's a cheerleader. There's a horrible accident. She falls. She gets hurt. She's in a coma. She wakes up, and she's 37 years old. 
she still has the mind kind of of a 17-year-old because she's been in a coma all this time, the least realistic coma in motion picture history, pretty much. Now she's 37, she wakes up, but she wants to go back to high school and become prom queen. It's interesting because only a few years ago, there was a rom-com called Isn't It Romantic? That, too, had Rebel Wilson starring and also suffering a head injury in which he uh, kind of woke up and was in a different world. Isn't It Romantic is terrific. You should check it out if you get a chance. It actually plays with all the tropes of romantic comedies, you know, the musical interlude, the gay best friend, you know, trying to stop the wedding at the last moment. And it and it's sort of this winking inside joke, but also kind of sweet. I really love that, that film, Isn't It Romantic? Senior year is awful. It's flat. It looks like a Hallmark movie. The production values are not good. A few laughs here and there. But again, it's just it's an idea that just never goes anywhere. And it's like, okay, someone wakes up from being in a coma for 20 years and just goes back to high school. And everyone kind of just goes with that. There's almost no media coverage. It's just like, oh, yeah, she was in a coma. She's fine now. Okay. And finally, this is a little disappointing. The Essex Serpent, I have to say is not worth watching. This is a, a prestige project when you see it's got Tom Hiddleston, it has Claire Danes, it's set in you know, Victorian England in this remote village where there may or may not be an actual kind of serpent Loch Ness monster-esque creature in the waters and the townsfolk, they get all you know, in a tizzy about this. And it has you know great production of values, but it's so dour and so somber and so slow moving that I kept waiting for more things to happen. And they just go off more on romantic triangles and dramatic asides instead of really addressing what I would have thought would be the fascinating element here is like when a town goes into a panic, believing there's a monster in the water and believing that it's possibly the devil itself. And they kind of turn on each other, you know, fear and paranoia and you know, rumors and all that stuff that has a lot of real world parallels when you know group think is the exact opposite of group thinking they just didn't go with that as much as i would have loved them to do she was taken for her sins no it was an accident god will look after her now a sea creature has been spotted is there something out there that's what I'm here to find out. I've done some research. Into a mythical beast. Not mythical, real. So it's it's a good looking series. It's well done. The performances are excellent. So I was kind of on the border on this, but I'd say you can skip it. Now let's talk about some good stuff that's out there. We mentioned Downton Abbey, A New Era. I love the Downton Abbey movies. And you know, it comes down to this. Did you watch the series? Did you watch the first feature film? If you did, this is perfect. If not, the stories kind of are standalone. You can kind of, they're not that complicated. You know, there's a lot of soap opera melodrama, but obviously you want to be up to speed on who all the characters are and what their histories are, and you're going to get a much bigger kick out of it. I love that almost everybody from the original cast, unless they've been killed off, of course, is back for this. It picks up in 1929. They're always, it's interesting because nobody really works except for, you know, a couple of them, you know, Edith, you know, she's got a little career going and they're managing investments, but basically they're the idle rich, but they're also always like financially strapped at Downton Abbey. How are we going to keep it going? Because it's an entire economy. We've got to remember not only the downstairs service staff, but farmers who live on the land, the entire town depends on Downton Abbey to keep running. It is actually like a corporation, but 
they don't necessarily have all the personal wealth in the world. They have all these lordships and countesses and all this shit. But there's always like, where are we going to get money from next? And it's kind of a brilliant idea for this one. A Hollywood production wants to come and film in Downton Abbey, a silent movie. And while they're there, talkies kind of come into play. And now all of a sudden, these silent movie stars have to speak their lines, which can result in some great comedic hijinks. A little bit of singing in the rain right there, actually. But I love the Downton Abbey movies. The first movie surprised everyone because it was made for only like $13 million. The cast is terrific, but they do not have to pay Tom Cruise type of money uh, or the rock type of money or whatever the case may be to the actors. It's, you know, they, they get a nice salary. Uh, so it was made on a budget of like 13 or $14 million and it made like 200 million, which really surprised worldwide. Cause this is one of those uh, shows, obviously a British series did well in America, but plays very well across the globe. So they, that's why they decided they had no intention of making a second movie. They're like, Oh, we'll just do a nice little goodbye to this series with this film. I would say now we should probably expect a third Downton movie in about two or three years because this one's already, as we mentioned in the first half of the program, doing very well at the box office. They could keep doing Downton Abbey movies, just keep going through the generations. We're only up to 1929. They could do one set in the 60s. Lady Mary would be like 75 years old and she'd be the, you know, she'd be, you know, kind of in the Maggie Smith role at that point. And they could have all kinds of plots like, oh, the Beatles are coming. Oh, there's Fab Four. The Fab Four's coming here. You could always have fun stuff with that. So Downton Abbey, a new era. I also want to mention Angeline on Peacock. This is uh, Emmy Rossum's project that she's been working on for years. And there were a lot of delays, obviously, because of COVID. She took time off to have a baby, but she always wanted to tell the story of Angeline. So... What are you advertising? Myself, of course. Yourself? Myself. You want to put up posters of yourself? Just you around the city? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why not? Nobody's ever done it. Why not start now? I bet people will talk about this a hundred years from now. The mystery of Angeline has become a media obsession. So, Angeline, what exactly are you famous for? For people who don't know Angeline, you can Google her. She kind of uh, was one of the first people who was famous for being famous, a generation before the Paris Hiltons and Kardashians of the world. Uh, Angeline was this very busty, blonde woman in Los Angeles who in the late 70s and early 80s, she was in a band, she tried to act, but what she became famous for was these billboards all over Los Angeles. If you visited L.A., you saw these billboards that would just say Angeline and there'd be a, a giant photo of Angeline and her giant assets and then a number to call if you wanted to book her for things. But she was really just famous for the billboard. And then she would drive all around town in her pink Corvette convertible and everybody would be like, oh my gosh, that's Angeline from the billboards. Let's take pictures with her. And she would sell stuff out of the trunk of her car, magazines and signed items and all this stuff. And that's really, she was famous and she's still around. I mean, she's in her 70s now. She was in a few movies and a few, and she would go on talk shows. She was almost more famous. Her billboards were in better projects than she was. She was featured in the, you know, the famous television show Moonlighting. She was part of the opening credits. Get Shorty, you know, they show the Angeline billboard. It became a staple for Hollywood TV shows and movies throughout like the 80s and 90s uh, through the 2000s to establish, hey, we're on Sunset Boulevard because you see the billboard of Angeline. Very Los Angeles. So Emmy Rossum's playing her, and you think, how could they do a whole limited series just on that but it's kind of one of those meta things where it's done as a mockumentary interview straight to camera sometimes it's kind of a series within a series 
and it's all about to this reporter trying to find out her real story because it, it seemed like she came out of nowhere. Well, she didn't. And eventually the real story of Angeline was revealed. Really interesting, funny, great period piece music from the likes of uh, ELO, the Electric Light Orchestra. And uh, Emmy Rossum is absolutely disappears into this character. She looks nothing like Emmy does in real life, or if you remember her in Shameless, of course, as Fiona. She's seven hours of makeup and hair and latex and all this. It's actually a really good performance. I think it's actually kind of a protective performance because she's not making fun of Angeline. She's kind of celebrating that Angeline figured out a way to be famous without really having any talent, but that is a talent unto itself in a way. And I also want to mention the limited series Pistol. This is from Danny Boyle, the Academy Award-winning director of Slumdog, Millionaire, and a lot of other great films. And this is the story of the Sex Pistols. With the right guidance, you could change the world. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sex Pistols. Punk has taken London's youth by storm. People's minds are too imprisoned. We want to destroy that so the future can emerge. We're going to kick this country awake if it kills us. The legendary punk rock band. And I love this because it's a hot listen. It's highly fictionalized like all of these things are, just like Angeline is. Some of it's speculative fiction. Some of it's based on fact, and you just kind of go with it. But it really captures the essence of the Sex Pistols, who came out of nowhere prided themselves on not being actually talented musicians, but definitely struck a chord of sorts with the culture and ushered in a whole new era of punk rock. So it's a series is called Pistol, also worth seeing. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of Screen Time. I'm Richard Roper for Rokan, who will be back with us soon. We'll see you next time.